Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is widowhood, and our first guest is Sandra Pessman. Sandra Pessman is an award-winning journalist and speaker. In 2007, Sandra lost her husband, Hal, to idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Looking for support, she decided to start her own Internet community where widows could share advice, wisdom, and hope. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to have you on the show. You're in Chicago, right? I'm in Chicago. How's the weather there? Well, I think it's a little better today. We've had, you know, snow, cold. It's time for spring, that's for sure. Yeah, you've had quite a thing. Well, tell us a little bit about how you got into doing uh, the widow's list and, and about your journey. Right. Well, when my husband died after 56 pretty great years, uh, you know, I was kind of in shock. And, and on the way home from the cemetery, I swear, people started saying, so when are you going to sell the house, you know? And when are you going to move to a senior village or something? I'm 78 now. I was 77. And, and my thought was, I'm not selling my house, thank you very much. I live here. It's my home for 50 years. Why are people asking me that? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, uh, you know, someone came at me, oh, have I got a boyfriend for you, my cousin's uh, brother. And I thought, I don't want your cousin's brother. And then, you know, things started coming at me. I had to do the taxes for the first time. I had to pick up the dog mess in the yard. for the. And I thought, each time I solved one of these problems, um, I, I thought I ought to be able to have a blog to help other widows face these challenges. And my son, who's a journalist, also in a business person on the web, said, don't monkey around with just a blog. Let's do a website, as you people have done and create the whole thing that will we'll do a niche. We'll do the widow's list like Craig's list or Angie's list and present the challenge in your blog and then present a list where people can find out where to get the dog mess fixed up, where to get a realtor if they do want to sell, somebody that we know that we've trusted and has worked well, someone who will help us do taxes and so forth. And that was how the widow's list was born. And my daughter, who is... Uh, was 32 when she was widowed. I was going married. to ask you, I noticed that your kind of co-person there uh, had co-host. the same last yes. name, and I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, well, she, she, uh, we thought she could bring the, uh, as you with your daughter. I mean, we're, we work well together, we read each other's minds, and, and she brings a younger person's view because not everybody is in the senior center. Right, exactly, and it's a kind of a different issue with younger widows, too, I believe, because we're going to have uh, our second guest is going to be a younger widow, and uh, so so there's a, a little different issue. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Sandra, is your husband had was probably ill for a while, was he? Yes, and that makes it, you know, it's a different experience, which different widows have written to me, as I'm sure they have to you. In my case, he was strong hearty, wonderful, uh, until about two years before his death. And then this fibrosis of the lung uh, developed. Nobody knows why or how, and there's no cure. And they say, here, you're going to die. And you can either say, uh, all right, I'll be sad, or you can say, we're, all he- we're okay today. We're here today. And anyone who's listening may identify. Um, let's have a good time today. Let's go sit on the patio and smell the flowers. And a year before he died, the last year was tough. And I would say the last four or five months were very difficult for both of us. 
but you get through it. And, and in my case, you know, that's something I think we should all talk about more is how you handle this grief. Um, people yeah, keep... you know, I'm thinking, because when you wake up in the morning, your husband's died, the funeral's over, everything's over, and it's been a lot of, your time has been spent in certain ways that are over. If it's caregiving, you know, yeah. as opposed to a quick death. Right. Um, but you know what, what's the, uh, you might all have this feeling, I don't know, Everyone comes at me since the, the Law and Order shows. Now everybody says, I'm sorry for your loss. Isn't that the truth? Uh-huh. And, and someone came up to me at another place the other day and said, I'm sorry for your loss. And I said, thank you so much, but please remember I've had a year and a half of loss. I had 56 years of gain. Right. You know, uh, and if we can just move that grief, and that's what we're all working on, and you help so much. If we can just move the grief from the, the focus of our lives and put it on the periphery and move our lives back in the middle, and that's what we're all trying to do, I guess. Well, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the challenges for you right after he passed away, and what are you seeing with other people? Well, uh, I guess the biggest one, which we all know, is one was grief following, how do we deal with the holidays? You know, you do so much about that. I've had people write to me and say, you know, do I make my children feel guilty because I'm alone on New Year's Eve? And what do I do on Easter if they're going to the in-laws and I'm alone now, uh, et cetera. So we, we write about, I write about my experiences and those that people share with me. And then I say, see Widow's List Mental Health. And they flip over, and I do have a wonderful therapist out here in my area, Judy Berg in Highland Park, who wrote a, a beautiful, great advice piece on the fact that, yes, it's hard, but it's going to get better every year as, you know, you do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, um, you know what else I've, I've found is, is interesting? An issue like uh, funeral pre-planning. Uh, so many of our people take care of what they have to take care of and then say, well, I'll leave my uh, problem for the kids. Uh, they will, it'll give them something to do, and I don't want to take their air money, the money they're going to inherit. And and I've talked to my experts on that, who happen to be a local cemetery group and funeral group here at Shalom Cemeteries. And the the head of it, Maynard Grossman, told me, you know, uh, it's not like buying yourself a mink coat or something. If you plan it, then when it happens, and it is going to happen to everybody, mm-hmm. then the kids don't have to go through that awful time of, of doing the details, and you'll have already done it, and it's, it's you know, an investment that's probably going to so, be a good So one. planning the funeral, but what about the finances after? How, what kind of shape do you see women in with that? I know you wrote an article uh, for us on finances. Yes, yeah, I, I love, I was telling my mother, Sandra, right before the show, I love your article, and I think everyone can benefit from reading this, not just widows. Um, it's called Handling Money When You've Lost a Spouse. Yeah. I love the advice you give, and it's it's in manageable sound bites, and it's great information. And a lot of that information I had no idea about, and I'm sure many of our listeners don't know. And you know what? I think we're going to have to really get into that fully, some of that advice after break. But but just let me know. Tell me this, Sandra. Before we go to break, we just have a second. How do you see women with their finance? Are they in trouble? The widows? Uh, you know, the women. Here's an interesting. It depends on on what they've done with their lives before. Mm-hmm. If they've been working women and have had to deal with money, married or single or widowed or whatever, divorced, anything, uh, then they naturally move into this. 
over our lifetime, we had separated, uh, you know, uh, uh, the chores, some things that I did, some things that my husband did, and the managing, uh, the general bill paying was his and handling the portfolio was done by both of us. Sandra, do you have any suggestions for people? I know, Heidi, you were commenting on an article that Sandra wrote for us for the uh, foundation site, and there were some things that you liked uh, in, yeah. in that article. Two of the things that I liked is that when I just read this, and it's on our foundation site, but it's one of the things that Sandra said was never have more than 25% of your holdings in one industry and never have more than 20% in one stock. This is information that I didn't know, so it was helpful. Yeah. You know, can I interrupt now? Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, of you know, I wrote that before the big crash. Right. And oh, it wow. became so wise, but I didn't make that up. We have had an excellent financial advisor, Sanford Kovitz in Chicago from Kovitz Investments. He's been with us for over 25 years, and he's the one that taught that to us. I have many friends who worked on newspapers with me who would put all of their money into their one employer's newspaper stock, and you know what the newspapers have done. And mm-hmm. it, you never put everything into one thing. And what we've learned is that uh, if you're diversified, you can survive these crashes. I mean, you may not be as rich as you thought you were last year, but, but you're not going to be in, in desperate trouble if there's something in bonds and something in stocks and something in, in, in residence and something in uh, mutuals, everything divided up. Yep, so it might be uh, finding a trusted person that you can really trust that you feel like does well with their finances. I think that was the first Even line. a relative, a friend, the whoever, not line. turning it over to them. But I think uh, no, no, time no, goes no, on no, learning no. yourself. Gloria, don't, you're right. Don't, don't ever trust yourself. Go to a cocktail party, buy it after somebody tells you to because we've been burned like three or four times that way and then I learned from my expert that's stupid. The most important thing, I think, is what you just said, get a financial expert, but then don't just give it to them and think they're going to be, you know, the fairy godmother. Right, exactly so. Well, I've got a couple of emails here that that I want to go over with you because I think they're really interesting. We got them um, through the grief blog, and the first one's from Darlene. And she said, my husband of 40 years passed away in May of 2006. I joined a grief support group, which has been a lifeline for me. However, when the suggestion came out that we should all write a letter to our deceased spouses, Hmm. I was stuck. My husband and I had a very con- uh, loving but sometimes contentious relationship. So I did not want to write a letter to him about the loss. She said, I, I've held a lot of anger inside for years about some of the things that went on in our relationship. She said, I've got wonderful memories too, but the past always seems to overshadow so much. I just don't know where I start to deal with this. Did you have, what about those, uh, things weren't always great, right? You, you were married for 50 years. You remember the good, but what about that? Gloria, isn't that interesting? Because um, I think you can go back and remember the uh, bad things about every relationship you've ever had, either a friend or your mother, your father, your brother, your husband. But as I said, I've had a year and a half loss. I had 56 of gain because I refuse to see the glass empty. Mm -hmm. I see it half full. There have to be the good memories. She probably should sit down and write down the things that she thinks made her angry, but then maybe add what she thinks she did that made him angry. 
Now, that might be a good one. Maybe she should start there. I like that. What about you, Heidi? Any thoughts? And then throw it away. That would be, maybe that, is that the purpose of the letter, do you think? You're the professional. Well, Heidi, what's your thought about the letter writing? I I like that idea of of looking at what made him angry and what made her angry and just getting it out. But it should be fair, don't you think? Yeah, I like the idea of maybe even starting with what she feels like she did uh, she did, and then have his side come in. She said, "Where in God's name do I start?" Was how she ended it. And, and I think, yeah, I think, uh, Darlene, I like the idea of maybe starting where you think you went wrong, and then uh, figuring it out from there. But I think she's taking a first step right now to even say this. You know, don't but, you think that if she's know, taken the step of joining a support group for grief, that there must have been something she loved and misses? Right. Exactly. I mean, so. if she just was angry at him. She'd say, "Oh wow, I'm glad it's over and be done." And then right. uh, we we also had another email, and thank you, uh, Darlene, for sending that in. And and we do feel like you're starting out on the right journey. Yeah. And one question. more thing I want to say, Mom, is you know we get angry at people because they're worth investing energy in, and and it's not always positive energy. Sometimes it's negative, but we we love them enough to invest energy in them and to argue with them. Otherwise, we just cut them off and walk away and not have anything to do with them. Right. Isn't, isn't it true, Heidi, you bring up a good point. Isn't it true that we only become hurt, I mean angry, if we care enough to be hurt? Like, like oh, if a stranger like says, I don't like your dress, we just walk away. But if somebody mm-hmm. we love says it, we're hurt, and then we could get angry. Absolutely. Don't well, we've got another email from Lonnie, and Lonnie is a male. And Lonnie says, my wife died after 27 years of marriage. Oh. I miss her so much, and I manage fine during the day, but I have problems at night. Do you have any suggestions? Did you find that was the case with you, Sandra? Uh, I just miss him all the time, but I'm, he's with me. Yeah. I'm such a, a believer in remembering instead of mourning. Yeah, how about at night? I, I know my mother, when my dad died, she said that it was night was particularly difficult when you've been cuddled up in bed with him, I guess, and they're not there. No, with me it's the day that I walk around and he's on my shoulder, but he's not here to put the oil can into the lock that needs turning. Mm-hmm. I want him here during the day. Absolutely. Well, so people and, and have also, different, mom, different I wanted issues. to say I, that I work with a lot of, of a lot of widows. You know, a lot of the nine eleven widows, and I'm working with a widow now that's recently widowed, and she's a young widow, and she said that when you have a lot of young kids, you're very involved in the day with the children, and what she misses the most, like you said, is when at night. They had just, all the kids are in bed, and her and her husband would, you know, sit down together over a glass of wine or whatever and just talk about their day. And now, once the kids are in bed at 9 p.m., he's no longer there, and that's her hardest time of day. You're right, because I don't have little children anymore. Mm -hmm. I had him with me all day. We were retired. So I'm I'm saying the same thing. You Mm -hmm. missed the companion that you had. The times that you were with him, and for Lonnie, it was at night, probably had kids. They were 27 years, so I assume they have younger kids. What I missed missed was during the campaigns and the elections, I missed my partner that would argue and, you know, sit with me and watch CNN and carry on. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, And with Lonnie, I'm sure you're saying this evening togetherness. I don't think it's nighttime during the night. Yeah, problem story. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I would suggest, Lonnie, is that 
you know, a simple thing, if it is sleeping issues, because I know a lot of people have sleeping issues, we would suggest that uh, that you don't drink at night because that's very disruptive. Uh, you drink alcohol uh, because that can interrupt your sleep. You may wake up about one o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah, you go to sleep quickly, but then you're you're you're. You wake up constantly throughout the night. Yeah, absolutely. It helps you relax, but then, then it, uh, Jed Black, who was our sleep expert, said that it does wake you up. You tend to wake up in the, and also, he also suggested that you not have caffeine after noon, 12 o'clock. So some, some of those ideas might help you with sleep issues if that's, you know, what's going on for you, part Wouldn't of it. Wouldn't it be good if there was a, a buddy partner from the support group that you could email or call in the middle of the night? Yep. And one of the things that people say is they listen to our radio show at Excellent. night. Uh, they told us that they put their computer by the bed and listen. Yep. And, and I had to laugh because this one guy said, but we never make it through a whole show. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> you know, we fall asleep. And parts I of the show. <laughs> Great. You know, on the, if I get up in the middle of the night, I'll just come over and turn it on and read stuff. Right, exactly. Well, Sandra, uh, we want to thank you so much for being on the show and for writing for us. What about dating? Huh. Well, you know, if, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I, I think we were still sitting in mourning here for a week after the funeral, and, and someone came up to me and said, oh, guess what, I have a boyfriend. And I thought, my goodness, she was just widowed last summer. And she was so excited about it. And I thought, what in the world are you going to do with him? Uh, <laughs> you know, some, I just couldn't imagine it. And now a year and a half later, I, I really think twice about why women, widows, and men want a companion. They, the men, particularly, that come to some of our meetings, the funniest thing to me is that they, so many, a couple of them have said, you know, I never knew that the sheets had to be changed. Uh, they just were always clean. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> That's the men. But the women, a lot of women want a man. And they would say, you know, let me fix you up with my brother and my cousin and so on. And I don't really want them, but that doesn't mean I, I don't like men in my life. What I found is that I can aggressively approach a friend who may be alone uh, again at, for one reason or another and say, let's meet in town and have dinner. Uh, that happened with a friend who had sent an email that he had to put his wife into a nursing home for Alzheimer's. They're all very dear, good friends. And I I just called him up and said, meet me in town and let's have dinner. And he said, great. And I called another couple in our group and we met. And then uh, you do that. I have other friends who are longtime single men that used to visit with my husband. I'm happy to meet them somewhere and have an evening glass of wine and dinner. Uh, most most importantly, don't you wonder how does the single woman pay without being a mooch? Yeah, now how does that work out? How, well, how do you pay? Not easily because if, if you're younger, Heidi, right. <laughs> then it's easier because younger people are accustomed to just splitting checks. But in my age group, the men think that they have to pay the bill no matter who has any amount of money. And mm-hmm. no, no, your money... Uh, Put it away, I have to pay because I'm a man. Well, um, I fought with them for a while, and then once I I finally had a dinner party for ten people, some were married, some were single, who had paid my checks for one reason or another, and I brought them in, and uh, my daughter was my server, and we had a lovely dinner party for a payback. Another time, my son came up with the bright idea. He said, if you've been out with a group or a couple several times because my good friends who are couples will take me out 
And uh, just get up and go to the ladies' room, and on the way back, give your visa card to the maitre d' or the waiter and say, put everything on here and bring it to the table paid. And that was terrific. And men have known to do that always, and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a great idea. Well, well, what about um, dating? I mean, how do, you know, there aren't really many, that many guys out there, are there? Well, you know, a funny thing happened on on uh, Christmas week. A, a widow friend, a newly widowed friend, said, "Oh, I have an invitation to go to the North Shore Senior Center's Singles Club for their Christmas party. Let's go." And I know she was thinking she's thinking of looking for a man. And I said, "Oh my God, I can't go there. People will think I'm looking for a man. I'm not looking for a man." You know, I had the best there was. I don't want another one, but that's just me. And and she said, uh, what are you talking about? There are no men. <laughs> <laughs> and I have other friends who went to senior residences with couples, and then all of a sudden this guy, we were out to dinner, and this man said, yeah, now there are just two men left in the group of ten. And so I felt, okay, I'll go with you because there will be singles there. I think the point is, if you want a date, don't think in terms of just a boyfriend the way you did when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a case of, I went to that senior Christmas party, the singles group. I found an old colleague, a former colleague, I mean, and I found someone else who is in, still doing a senior television show and interviewed me on that one. And, and I just found wonderful dates. They weren't necessarily men. Uh, I, don't, I think you have to change your focus about what you want at this stage. Do you want a boyfriend who's going to take you out to dinner every Saturday night? Do you want someone who's going to move in with you? Do you want someone to just occasionally meet and have a nice dinner and share the costs when you can and have somebody to talk about the news with on the phone? Or uh, I've had financial questions that I have one friend, a single engineer, and I call who is very smart about money. And I called him, uh, and and he helped me a lot in changing my homeowner auto insurance to a much better policy. Well, you know, men are very interested in fixing and helping and yeah. doing. We and, always and find that, don't we, Heidi, in the absolutely. law field that they want to do? You know yep. what I think? I think they're not thinking in terms of let's get together and be a couple the way women are. Right. And if we women take that view, which I have done, then I think we have more men around. Because mm-hmm. you're not needy. I don't think they like needy. So what well, about, <laughs> did you ever get plagued with the idea that you should be doing better as far as grief went, or have you just, you know, forged ahead? And Well, you know, I, I'm not a stranger to grief. I mm-hmm. think it makes a difference in what kind of life you have had. Now, you lost a son-in-law very early. I did, but more more uh, traumatic for me was that at the age of nine, my mother died. Ah, oh, okay. Oh. My father said, stand up and go to school, the strong get going. And mm-hmm. I went to school and uh, somehow dealt with life on that level that, uh, you know, it's up to me to take care of myself and remember that I had the best mother that ever walked on earth because we never got to fight when I was a teenager. <laughs> I remember my mother with such great love, and, and my aunt stepped forward and helped me, and her sister. And uh, then my father died when I was... He raised me marvelously, sent me to college and said, learn to take care of yourself, get a tool to feed yourself with, things that other girls don't have. And I met my, hu- I met my husband as a child. We grew up together. He knew 
what he was getting and let me continue to grow for 50 years and, and have a pers- person self. And um, he, my father died when I was 19. So by the time I got married and lived through the griefs that came after, uh, as you say, my, my daughter's husband passed away. We went through that. Uh, we've had, you know, traumatic illness in the family that we, and then I lost my, I mean, I know that life holds grief and sorrow as well as great, great joy. Now, that's so interesting, Senator, because I think part of the way you're approaching widowhood, um, and, and you, you go to a group, right? No, I am the group. <laughs> oh, you run the group for the widows. I mean, did, did you say you had a group, too? Well, I have a club, every sort of at the senior center. It came out of this. Okay, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Well, I went there to give a talk about introducing people to join us on the widows list. And when I finished, they all crowded around and said, are you coming back next week? And I said, well, I hadn't planned to. And they said, well, we, we have so much to talk about, and you can help us. You know, and I realized a lot of my widows at this stage cannot really jump onto the computer and function the way younger people do or people who have worked. So um, I began, uh, well, the senior center began a monthly meeting. And I have a, a different kinds of women, and as I go about my lectures and talks, and I'm very much visible outreaching in the North Shore of Chicago so far, and, and as I go about, I meet women who are very professional, who were alone a long time, and they're starting to join my group. And in fact, every month we bring a specialist in real estate to help them sell their home from the senior center, to help them think about moving into a senior village, uh, or I meant village, or we'll have someone, I have a financial expert who comes in every month from uh, Wachovia Securities who helps them me answer their questions about, well, what should I do? Should I withdraw money from my IRA after uh, 70 when I don't have to this year? That's a big issue, by the way. And Mm -hmm. some people should and some people shouldn't. Okay, so let me, also, I'm sitting out here and I'm listening to you, Sandra, and I'm thinking, I wish there was a group in my community. And I am saying, you know, see if there is. But what if I decide, I could start start one. one. Could they get in touch with you? Please get in touch. I'll come and visit you. I mean, you know, I'll come and give you the first talk. I, I love to, to reach out because at this stage of my life, I, I'm, I'm finding people need my strength that I've learned from this life I just explained to you. Well, well, and Sandra, I'm, I'm listening to your, your life and I'm thinking about what is on your website, the Maya Angelou quote. Oh. And it so speaks to who you are because you have on your website this quote from Maya Angelou that says, all my work, my life, everything is about survival. Yeah. All my work is meant to say, you may encounter many defeats, but you must yeah. not be defeated. That is, it's Maya, but it's me too. Right? It's completely you. It's the way you live your life. Well, it, it started when I was a little kid. Everyone else had a mom. And mm-hmm. I had this great dad, but it's not quite the same, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, he taught me uh, to survive. Because it was a ter- he lost a wife of forty. He was forty-three, and he had two little kids. 
but um, you know, so I, I kind of grew up with grief and knowing that grief cannot defeat you if you will take the strength from that. Um, you know, there are things that teach a, a youngster. I've written series on this, uh, the early death of a parent, and and the, I know that um, it makes you stronger because one, you know that death happens, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends who grew to this great age don't understand it yet. It's almost like climbing a mountain, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you've been to the top before. You know mm-hmm. death is going to happen, and so you, you run harder and faster and usually accomplish more than you even might have with those same gifts. And and it makes you know that you, you want to do it for the Gipper, so you mm-hmm. have a memory of them as watching you and cheering for you instead of sitting and, and thinking, oh, poor me. I lost the best, handsomest, greatest husband anybody ever had, and I will say it, um, who was so witty and funny and smart. Uh, well, instead of sitting around and crying about that, I boast about it. And, and, and is it kind of a fear that you lose, that you lost even as a child, would you say? Is it a fear? A fear that I... That that you you don't have a fear of failure anymore or whatever. No, I well I guess I don't think I have a fear of death because okay. I know that remembering is so important and I have such vivid memories of everybody I've lost. Now I so love that important. because one of the things people are always saying is isn't it Heidi that they're afraid they'll forget. Well, you know what helps, and this is what we talk a lot about all the time in starting at funerals is you have to remember. You have to remember, and the way you remember is by talking about it. And I believe real heaven is every time somebody says about my husband, gee, remember the time that Hal did this, or remember the time Dad said this, or remember when Grandpa said that. That's a spot of time. That's a moment of heaven for him, and he only has those kinds of remarks. Somebody who's been a son of a gun, people will say, Oh, remember when that guy did that to me? Well, that's his hell as far as I'm concerned. And to me, it's a very simple way. We talk about our... Now, did you talk about your mother, too, when you were younger? My mother. I have a book full of famous quotes by all my dearly beloved aunt and mother and father. And when my father said, go to college and get a tool to feed yourself with (laughs) by grandpa... (laughs) You know, it's in the book for the children to always remember he said that. Well, now talk about that. What a wonderful thing to write down quotes from these family members. Well, I made a little family. I realized one day uh, my daughter-in-law, who is blessed, Paula uh, Dupre-Pessman in Colorado, runs uh, There With Care, a foundation that she formed to help the families of children with critical illness. Uh, at uh, St. Francis and the Denver Children's Hospitals, who are, you know, pretty terminal. Uh-huh. And Paula uh, said to me, my son Curtis's wife, Paula said to me one day, you're always saying these wonderful quotes. Why don't you write them down so we never forget them? And I just sat down and started writing them. And pretty soon I had a book, which I would love to share with all of you. Any, I can email it all to you if you ever want it. I would love it. We'd love to put it put it on the site. Well, That's really marvelous. Well, they're We'd wonderful. We'd love to put your quotes I on the site. Wonderful family. My my mother and aunt were librarians. My father was an engineer. They were full of great, you know, prophetic comments. And 
uh, as I was ready, as I say, I was ready to go to college, and my father said it was his idea. You'll go now after your brother. He didn't know how. You to know, raise your a father girl. was a man way before his time. He he raised time? you to be such an independent woman. Wait, I didn't hear you. Your father was a man way before his time. Well, he was. His mother was the one that sent her children off to college in 1920 to the University of Illinois at Urbana, and she sent her daughter to uh, the. Um, Teachers College at Normal, and all the kids did go, and, and the mission was, if you have a tool to feed yourself with, you'll be okay in this life. It was not get a man to feed you. Okay, now, Sandra, let me ask you a really hard question for our audience out there. We may uh, we can talk about it just before break, but what if you didn't have a dad like that, and what if you are a widow now and you don't have a tool to feed yourself? What do you suggest? Yeah. Well, I suggest you go first to the local community college and you register for one of their many, many adult education courses in career counseling. And they have so many certificate courses that you can take while you're on your Social Security and whatever else. Even if you have a lot of money and you're sitting there thinking, my husband was my life, what am I going to do? Now it is time, no matter how old you are, to start your life. Get over to the college, and even the local library will help you. But mostly the career people at the colleges will help direct you to a six-week course for a certified nurse's assistant certificate, for a librarian assistant at the library. There are so many things you can do. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely, because I think people are just, you know, sitting at their kind of scared and stuck and they're living, and maybe they can afford not to, to work, but maybe they need to get out of the house you and find never a new thing. not to do something productive. And if you absolutely. can't do, or if you really can't face the idea of starting a career at 70, you know, some people can't, just go to your local hospital and help out uh, as a volunteer. In fact, today's New York Times front page story is about how people are racing to libraries all across the country, and they use the Arlington Heights local library in Illinois here as an example. The librarians are overloaded because people who used to buy books are now running to check them out. People who are laid off from their jobs are using their computers to send job uh, do a job hunts on the, the computers. They have people, uh, they are inundated with people looking for reference help on how to, who, what companies they can apply to. This is a new time for everyone, and the recession has made, your libraries are underhanded. Go over there and say, how can I help you? I'll give you two hours a week. They, one of my neighbors... I love said, that, oh, two, just two hours a week. One other thing is... It, it is important. I don't care how much money you have. You have to do something that will bring you out of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's that narcissism, narcissism that, that makes you crazy. And mm-hmm. if you start helping other people either at a job or as a volunteer, you will start to feel good because you'll get good vibes back for you as a person and not as a pair. You would be an individual. And one thing uh, that I think is really good is uh, one of my widowed neighbors began doing, she had no particular skills to offer except she speaks English. And she teaches English at a second language, as a second language, at our local library. I know that's another thing that's available in schools as well. And if you just make a few phone calls, you will find someone that would love to give you 
a person who needs help learning English for their new life here. And she's been doing it now for several years and gets such satisfaction. Uh, I love that idea. Uh, That's a great idea. We need to feel like productive members of society. District 30 in Northbrook. And she was telling me the other day that um, they have the same grandparent that took, uh, that was in the first grade with our grandson, who's now 17. He's still there as the first grade room grandparent. And he's there helping the teachers. And the kids just come to him to help them button their galoshes or whatever else they need done. Or when they cry and fall down in the schoolyard, they'll run to him. That's another job that widows particularly can do and get their hands on somebody else's grandkids all day. Well, I like the fact that you're talking about widowers, too, because, yes. uh, you know, the guys uh, want to get out and, and find something where they're needed, too, and there are just so many places that um, people can do things. Well, before we close our show, can you give a, just a couple of uh, pieces of advice that about life and loss and and how have you found? You're such a hopeful person. I mean, it hasn't been that long for you. A year and a half is a pretty short time. And as you said, you learned so much from uh, losing your mother early and some of your other losses. What can you share with us? Well, what I've learned is that life goes on. I mean, we are born, we live, and we die. Swallow that, and you can move on. Uh, it's going to happen, but you have to keep going. And and the only and people don't want to be around you if you're sitting around being a victim. Ever since I was a child and my mother died, people began to look at me as if I was a victim. And I guess even then I stood up and said, hey, I'm no victim here. I'm a person, and I'm a person of quality, and I am going to be okay. So say that to yourself when you get up in the morning. I'm a person of quality, and I'm going to be okay. Some a one woman told me that she wrote on her mirror with lipstick, and what she wrote was, "I can do whatever I want to today." That's right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I met a friend uh, who always came to the same New Year's Day party, and with his, you know, spouse as I did. And now we're both alone, and we were there in the group, and we happened to be sitting in a corner, and he's now in a. Um, a Lutheran senior village, and I said, oh, I bet the widows are all over you, you know, teasing him, bringing you casseroles, and he said, you know, you're right. He said, but, you know, I really value my solitude. And I thought about I said, Bob, I think that's so important. Uh, people who are suddenly, you know, alone, the first thing is, oh, poor me, I'm alone. But wait a minute. I'm alone for the first time, in, and for widows of my age group, we were never alone. We lived in our family's home. Then we went to our husband's home. Then we were in our the family's home. And now it's my home, although my daughter recently said to her, her husband, oh, well, you know, that's the family's home. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heidi, uh, did you have anything you wanted to say before we close the show? Just that I think Sandra is such an inspiration to people out there and such a strong a strong person and she shows us that despite multiple losses you can find hope again and you can go on to live an amazing life yes sandra we are very impressed with uh, what you've gone on to do and and your many um, many activities and things i i just uh, think your group must be fantastic thank you you know i guess one last thing to say is that life is such a gift that you know 
death makes us realize that. We haven't got a minute to waste. And our time is short. And if you're going to sit around and grieve, you've wasted this day. If you're going to get up and do something for somebody else, you've, you've made it valuable. Now, I wanted to say, you're coming together as a group. What do you think it does for those people in the group to get together? For? Well, you know, Why would I want to do that? Because when you cut a leg off the stool, it topples over. If you put two legs on it, it stands firm. Mm-hmm. And so come and join with other people to be to be that yeah. stool and firm. Well, thank you, Sandra, so much for being on the show. It's been great having you on, and and keep up the good work, and uh, people will be able to reach you through www.widowslist.com. Absolutely. And they'll be able to see your widow's list. You've got great advice, great ideas, financial list, physical health, mental health, real estate, home and garden, 